0: Pastor Xavier Rees explains that bringing a murderer to justice is a simple truth of Scripture. Whoever sheds man's
1: blood, by man his blood shall be shed, for in the image of God he made man. From the beginning God says, I have made man in my image, and therefore if a man kills him, you kill that man. It's in Genesis, it's followed through the books, you hear it in Numbers again, and we're going to see it follow all the way through the New Testament.
0: Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, senior pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. He is a murderer. The murderers shall surely be put to death. This passage from the book of Numbers, chapter 35, verse 18, leaves no doubt that the Bible espouses capital punishment. But the scripture continues on, making a clear distinction between killing and murder. All murder is killing, but not all killing is murder. And so, coming up, Pastor Xavier leads us through God's provision in the case of accidental death via the City of Refuge. Let's listen now to our final study in our Simple Truth series of the book of Numbers.
1: Numbers 35, verse 9 through 34. I've entitled the message, What the Bible Teaches About Capital Punishment. There are three things that our text provides for us one, the provisions for the case of murder. Secondly, the particular cases involving murder. And thirdly, the principles for the cases of murder. This was the revelation of God for the people of God. The provisions was for the time after they had crossed over Jordan and occupied the land, verse 10 says. Notice, secondly, the purpose is stated by God in verse 11 and 12. The cities of refuge were in order that the person who killed someone accidentally could flee there for safety. Verse 11 says, The cities were temporary sanctuary for two ways. In verse 12 it gives you that. First, to protect the slayer from the avenger of blood who had the duty and the right to pursue and kill him. This is the kinsman who is first in line to avenge the murder of any relative. He not only has the right, but he has the obligation to do so according to the law. But if the man accidentally committed the crime, then he fled there for protection, to ensure the legal and just trial of the accused. That's the second reason. First of all, to protect the slayer from the blood goel. Secondly, to ensure a legal trial. You get that in verse 12. God is interested in justice, very much so. These are the provisions for the cases of murder. Notice, secondly, the particular cases involving murder. Verses 16 through 18, we get the case of murder, and it was punishable by death. Verse 16, if he strikes the individual with an iron implement, and he dies, he's to be put to death. Verse 17, if he strikes the individual with a stone in his hand, and he dies, he has to be put to death. Verse 18, if he strikes an individual with a wooden hand weapon and he dies, he's to be put to death. Anybody have any problem understanding that? It's very clear. But notice secondly in verses 19. The one to execute the capital punishment was to be the avenger of blood. He says the avenger of blood himself shall put the murderer to death. When he meets him, he shall put him to death. So the relative who's responsible and has the right to avenge the murder, He's the one that puts the man to death. You also find it at the end of verse 21 again. Now, in Deuteronomy 19, 11 through 13, the elders would turn him over to the avenger of blood and they were warned not to pity the guilty person. Let me read that for you. Deuteronomy nineteen eleven. It says, But if anyone hates his brother or his neighbor, lies in wait for him, rises against him and strikes him mortally, so that he dies, and he flees to the one of these cities. Then the elders of his city shall send and bring him from there and deliver him over to the hand of the avenger of blood that he may die. Your eye shall not pity him, but you shall put away the guilt of innocent blood from Israel that it may go well with you. Very clear. He would flee. The elders will go get him, If he was guilty of murder, they would grab him, bring him to the manslayer or to the avenger of blood and witness that he would kill him. Very simple. Very clear. Very straightforward. But notice in verse 25, the person's judging the case after finding the person innocent, if any premeditated or intentional wrongdoing to the murderer, the individual would not allow the avenger of blood to kill him. If he was found innocent of premeditated murder, then they would not allow the avenger of blood to kill the person who committed the crime accidentally. And the acquitted person would be delivered to the city of refuge, and he would remain there till the death of the high priest, at which time then he was free to go back to his home. Verse 25 says that very clearly. Listen. So the congregation shall deliver the manslayer from the hand of the avenger of blood, and the congregation shall return him to the city of refuge where where he had fled, and he shall remain there until the death of the high priest who was anointed with the holy oil. There you have the way they handle unintentional sin. Manslaughter. Notice that the case of unintentional manslaughter had limited protection for the acquitted person. You find this in verses 26 through 28. The individual was not protected outside the walls of the city of refuge to which he was confined to. And if he went outside those walls and the avenger of blood found him, he could kill him and it was legal and just. You say, well, that's not fair. Oh, yes, it is. He knew the rules. No. There's an interesting parallel with the city of refuge and the high priest. You and I and every person on the face of the earth is guilty before God. Those of us who have responded to the gospel have fled to the city of refuge, Jesus Christ. The only thing about him is he will never die again. So I must abide in Christ if there's going to be protection upon my life. Not only can I not ever leave, because he will never die again. But why would I want to leave? It would be as foolish as the man leaving his safety to take a chance on being slain by the blood Goel. Thirdly, we have the principles for the cases of murder, verses 29 through 34. These principles are very important. You know why? Because they move from the Old Testament throughout the New Testament to our present day. Some of you may say, well, Xavier, you've been talking about that's great, but that's Old Testament. Hang on. I'm going to give you New Testament. Here's the foundation. Here's the basis. Now's the principles. Verse 29, the statutes were absolute and binding. Now these things shall be a statute of judgment to you throughout your generations and all your dwelling. Number one, for all your generations. It would never change. Secondly, for all their dwelling places, no matter where they went. Now, is that an absolute, or is that an absolute? (laughs) It will never change culturally. Time will make no difference. People will make no difference. It's an absolute. Second principle is found in verse 30. The sentence of death requires two witnesses. Whoever kills a person, the murderer shall be put to death on the testimony of witnesses. But one witness is not sufficient testimony against a person for the death penalty. Why? Why? First, the witness of one was too tempting for one who desired vengeance. Anybody could slander you. To get a second party to agree with you was real precarious because the law stated that if you were a false witness, whatever charges you brought to an individual, whatever consequence would result from your charge, if you were found to be a false witness, that consequence would be brought upon you. So if you lied about murder and wanted to get capital punishment on this person and you were found to be a false witness, then you would be put to death. Now, you might be crazy enough through vengeance to do it, but try to get a friend to agree with you. Great incentive and deterrence, isn't it? Secondly, the witness of two established a matter. Deuteronomy 17, 6 says that. The witness of two establishes a matter. The context there is if a person comes and tries to take you away from God to other gods, then you make sure you inquire to make sure it's accurate information. And when you get there, the first witness, he's the first one to put his hands on his throat and kill him. Interesting. Now, in no way am I suggesting this morning that we go back to the Levitical law and that we take vengeance on the person who kills one of our relatives. I'm just showing to you that God gave a way in a very decent, orderly manner by which capital punishment was to be executed. There is the third principle, verses 31 through 32. The setting of a man free for money was not permitted. No plea bargaining. I like that. (laughs) Verse 31, the murderer could not be ransomed from his or her guilt, but they were to be put to death. You kill somebody, no amount of money could save you. You were put to death. Verse 32, the person in refuge could not be ransomed in order to be set free prior to the death of the high priest. In other words, he gets in there and he says, oh man, the high priest is 30 years old. He just got into office. Man, he could live up to 65. I got to spend 35 stinking years in here. Hey, how about if I give you a thousand shekels? Two camels, one donkey. Nope. You got to hang in there. But it's not all you knew. You knew the cost. You knew the law. Are you telling me there's no deterrence when there's Strict law and consequences? Sure there is. There is a fourth principle in verse 33 through 34. The scriptural reasons for capital punishment. Don't miss these. They are not cultural. They are scriptural. Number one, the first portion of verse 33. The shedding of a person's blood defiles the land. So you shall not pollute the land where you are, for blood defiles the land. Do you need to be any clearer? Blood defiles the land. Secondly, as we move on in verse 33, the defilement of the land by blood cannot be atoned except by the blood of the guilty party. And no atonement, a word for covering, appeasing, can be made for the land, for the blood that is shed on it, except by the blood of him who shed it, except by the blood of him who shed it. Very clear. Very straight to the point. But there is an underlying reason for this. We don't get it here, but God gave it to Noah in Genesis chapter 9 when he got off the boat. Chapter 9, verse 6, there he gave him the new governmental order. No longer vegetarians, they could eat meat. And then in verse 6, he says this, Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed, for in the image of God he made man. From the beginning, God says, I have made man in my image. And therefore, if a man kills him, you kill that man. It's in Genesis... It's followed through the books, you hear in Numbers again, and we're going to see it follow all the way through the New Testament. Now, I don't know what you're going to do if you're a pacifist. Because the Bible calls God the God of wars, the Lord of wars. And when we come back in the second coming to establish the kingdom, we're coming back on white horses, and we're coming back for war. I hope you're not going to be sitting there with a picket sign. But it's a righteous war. It's a holy war. Righteousness. But there is another reason, verse 34. The Lord dwelt in the midst of the children of Israel. The Lord dwelt in the midst of the children of Israel. He was in their presence. That means He was a witness to the murders and He was a witness to the execution of justice or the failure of it. Now, one of the arguments I always get from people against capital punishment when they're Christians and they, or unchristians, christians say, yeah, but doesn't the Bible say, thou shalt not kill? Isn't it the, one of the commandments? Hmm. It's the sixth. <laughs> it says, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not murder. It's an argument against you, not for you. It says that you shall not take a man's life. And then God gives the provisions and the consequence when somebody does. Because God Himself sent Israel out to kill the inhabitants of the land. Are you ready to charge God with murder? No. Why? Because He gave them 430 years to repent. Read it in Genesis 15. I cannot give you the land, Abraham, until the fullness of the abomination of the Amorites comes up. So I'm going to put you in Egypt. And then when they don't repent, then I'll judge them. And I will have the land spew them out, and I'll have you go in and, and take vengeance for me. Righteous judgment. Righteous judgment. I don't know what you're going to do with those passages. But you better take them in their context. Now, the New Testament perspective regarding capital punishment is the same. Let me give you the words of Jesus first. They're very important. Jesus said that man is not of, to be fearful of one who could kill the body, but fear him who afterwards has power to, over the soul and the spirit of man. Now, Jesus could have been inferring to one of two things. He could have been inferring to a normal, average man killing another one, don't fear him, or he could be implying the governmental authorities who have power of capital punishment. One of the two. Jesus also did not contest or object to the killing of the Galileans by Pilate in Luke 13, 1 and 3. Whose blood was mingled with the blood of the sacrifices. You know what Jesus declared? He said this. Do you suppose they were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered such a thing? I say to you, no, but unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Jesus acknowledged the authority and the execution of capital punishment. It doesn't mean that it was always just jesus warned the disciples in a prophetic way of physical persecution that would result in death as capital punishment for being christians in matthew 24 9. they shall bring you before the magistrate; they shall kill you for my sake let's move on to paul though we need no other than jesus paul's writings are also important paul acknowledged the ruling authorities of the land as those ordained by god which believers are to be subject even though they are not christians If you turn to Romans, chapter 13, 1 through 7. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Do you understand what I just read? Paul just said that communism, democracy, everything else is is, is allowed by God. God wants some kind of order. Some order is better than no order. And God allows these authorities to be the ruling orders in this world. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on what? Themselves. Interesting. For rulers are not a terror for good works, but for evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authorities? Do what is good and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. He calls him his minister, what he calls me, a servant. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. Underline that. Sword in vain is capital punishment. Capital punishment, that's what the sword is. For he is God's minister and avenger of execute wrath upon him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also because of conscience sake. For because of this you also pay taxes, they are God's ministers attending continually for everything, render therefore to all their dues, taxes to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor." Interesting. Notice that we are only, the only reason that we have a scriptural right to disobey the authorities of the land is when they clearly violate God's word. Acts 5.29, they told him not to preach in the name of Jesus, and they said, you judge whether we are to obey God or man. You understand that? Take it in its context. Now, abortion. Abortion is clearly murder. It's wrong. But do the authorities of the land command you as a Christian to have an abortion? No. You cannot legislate Christianity. You want to go out on the sidewalk, pass tracks, witness, talk to young ladies, use the legislative uh, process, go for it. But you break the law, you're going to get it. Because they're not forcing you to have an abortion. Now, when they force us to have abortions, that's when we break the law. You understand? When they tell me I can't preach on Sunday morning, then you'll have to go visit me in jail. Okay? But I can't go into the mall and start preaching. That's against the law. Am I going to pull out Acts five twenty nine? No, because I'm to be subject to the laws of the land. Too many Christians use their liberty as a cloak of unrighteousness, and instead of being shepherds of sheep, they are pipers of rats. Be careful, because you're the ones going to end up in jail, not them. Paul and all the other New Testament writers were fully aware of Rome's corruptness and their injustices, and yet they say, Christians, you obey the laws of the land until they directly violate the laws of God. There is one more witness, and that is Peter. Uh, I'm not going to read it, but just jot down 1 Peter 2:13 through 25 That will help you. Peter's words are in accord with Jesus and Paul, focusing on the believer's obedience to the ruling authorities as a witness of Christ, and that, in fact, if we do suffer being innocent, it is commendable before God, and he uses Christ as the example who did not revile and suffered. He's our example. Pilate says, don't you say anything? Don't you know I have power to put you to death, set you free? He said, you don't have no power, man. It's been given to you. Ooh. The Father respected the Roman authorities who was going to crucify His Son. Yep. Those who suffer according to the will of God are to commit themselves to God in doing good as a faithful creator, 1 Peter 4, 19. Can you handle that? Or are you saying, I have my rights? All your rights were nailed at the cross. All you have is big responsibility. That's all you and I have. I think, for the most part, the Church of Jesus Christ is a big corporate organization of a bunch of groaning, wimpy sociologists and psychologists that are confused and they think they're Christians. And they don't know the scriptures or the awesome responsibility laid upon us. These are the principles for the cases of murder. They're very clear. Very simple. Why? Because God wants you to be accountable. And therefore, He allows you to understand what He has said. Think about what the Bible has taught us this morning about murder. The way it is to be handled and how it produces a safe and orderly society. Now think of what our laws teach us today and how we handle murders and the type of society it has produced. Listen to Solomon. Because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Because justice is not executed speedily, And in proportion, it causes other people to disregard authority and they do wickedness and more evil things because they know they can get away with it. How interesting Solomon way back there said that. Why? Because people and societies have not changed. They have not changed at all. The provisions for the case of murder have the innocent in mind. The particular cases involving murder are clearly stated. The principles for the cases of murder are for today. They are not outdated. And I pray that you search the Scriptures if you're not persuaded this morning, and that you let the Scriptures speak for themselves and not what you have been taught Not your presuppositions, and not your emotional movement of mind. But let the scriptures speak for themselves. And see if you don't see the wisdom behind them.
0: Pastor Xavier Reese has been discussing the simple truths and scripture perspective of capital punishment in a study of Numbers chapter 35. Now, just before we close, let me take these last moments to mention that copies of today's study, simply titled, What the Bible Teaches About Capital Punishment, are available on CD for just $4. And this will also include everything Pastor Xavier shared the last time we were together as well. Now, once again, the title to ask for is simply, What the Bible Teaches About Capital Punishment, or just mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing, Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com